slam into the south tower of the World Trade Center. I was in my parents' basement, having been recently engaged to the lovely then Natalie Bratton, just about three weeks before. The shock, the unexplainable gasp, the I don't know how to process what I just saw on Good Morning America, other than to call my mom and dad from upstairs and say, you, you have to come see what just happened. Of course, they were looking at the second tower because the north tower, the first tower, had already received a plane. You may remember what it was like to see that or the feeling of shock like my parents had when someone told them what had just happened. In the following days, as the ruins of the World Trade Center smoldered, the motto, never forget, encapsulated our national trauma and outrage, while providing a fixed point of verbal unity in the face of unspeakable disaster. That was 21 years ago, today. But for most of us, we've mostly forgotten 9-11 when it comes to our daily lives. Though we were shocked for a very long time, even when we were shocked, we had a physical and experiential distance from ground zero. Most of us did not go and help sort through the rubble. Most of us did not have a loved one on any of the planes. We didn't work in either of the towers or flee the surrounding areas as apocalyptic billows of smoke and dust chased New Yorkers through the streets of lower Manhattan. That was not our experience. We don't have family who either survived or died in the, in the attack. We don't have husbands or wives, brothers or sisters, dads or moms as first responders who ran up into the buildings while everyone else was running down. And 21 years is a long time. Unless you or I are visiting the 911, not the 911 memorial in Manhattan, or watching a documentary about it, or happen upon one of the many memorials throughout our country, it's easy to forget. Many of you here weren't even born when the World Trade Center towers fell, so you don't even have memories to be forgotten. Time passes and we forget. As we come to 1 John this morning, John addresses his readers as a father to his children, very aware that we forget. Very aware that spiritual forgetfulness can yield spiritual death. So John sends them and us an urgent reminder of what we must never forget. And so, Father, this morning, we pray that through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit in your word, through the preached word this morning, 
that you would stir our hearts, remind us of who we must never forget. For your glory alone. Amen. What is it, or who is it, as you'll see here, who is it that John's spiritual children should never forget? Very simply, Jesus Christ. As you walk away from church this morning, simply remember to never forget Jesus Christ. As John writes his first letter, likely 60 years have already passed since the resurrection of Jesus. He's writing towards the end of that first century. Few, if any, of his readers had seen the resurrected Savior with their own eyes as John had. And for all of them, John included, many years had passed. And with those many years, certain assurances had eroded. Assurances about what they believed and was it even true? What is true about Jesus? And so John's readers were in danger of believing in a partial Jesus. A redefined Jesus. A theologically thin Jesus. A Jesus whose deity could have been separated from his body. A Jesus whose life, death, and resurrection were open to reinterpretation and thus open to reapplication. And if Jesus is reinterpreted, so then is the fellowship of his people, the church. This is the danger that John's readers were facing. That they would believe in a false Christ. And if you believe in a false Christ, you do not have Christ at all. It's possible that this letter was circulated in Asia, perhaps even to the churches that John addresses in Revelation. We don't know, but it's possible. And to these churches, to these children of John, spiritual children of John, his family, he strikes right into it with an urgency of a father trying to save his kids. No introduction like Paul or Peter would offer. He just jumps right to it. In fact, the first four verses are one sentence in the Greek. He has their ear, and he wants to press into their ear exactly what they need to hear, even if they tune out later. Because what John is saying here is if they never forget the fullness of Christ, as John had proclaimed, and here in 1 John continues to proclaim to them, they will experience the fullness of fellowship that God intends, both with God and with one another. Again, if they never forget the fullness of Christ as John has proclaimed and here proclaims, they will experience 
both with God and with one another. Let's look at 1 John 1, 1 through 4. You might get the sense as I read it that it feels like a run-on sentence even though the English doesn't have it. Yes, that's true. But we'll need to excuse John for this run-on sentence, for his lack of formal reading. He is a father desperate for his kids. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So that, so, that, so, that, so that you too, you too may have may fellowship, have fellowship with, with us. And, and indeed, indeed, our fellowship, our fellowship is with, with the Father and with his Son, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. And, and we and are writing these things, things so that, so that our, our joy, joy may be complete. That, that last verse there, verse 4, it is it the is sense, sense of John, John saying, I have not, not written, written to you so that so my that joy may be complete. Wait, 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 our, our joy. He's talking about himself and the apostles. He is saying this, I am currently sitting, or maybe standing, but in some way writing right then with them in mind. And what he just told them in this preface, in this prologue, is what he really wants them to hear. So it has themes that are then going to sprinkle out and circulate throughout the rest of the, throughout the, rest of the letter. So there are things this morning, you'll see, I'm not going to spend a tremendous amount of time on these things this morning because we're going to see them repeated and repeated and repeated. You might, did your family ever have family meetings? Where the purpose of that family meeting was for one of your parents or oftentimes both of them together, to communicate something to the kids. It doesn't mean that it always followed a clear conversation of reasonable points, right? Logic leading from one to the next. That might be what your dad had in mind to start with, but speaking as a dad, I understand it doesn't always go that way. And somebody will interject, especially the youngest one usually, will say something... We'll say something that like takes it kind of off track, but not so off track. It might be a legitimate question, but then you kind of got to bring it back together again. That's what First John is like. It's like a family meeting where the father's saying, listen, we got to talk about something serious. Not just serious, but potentially dangerous. And I want to encourage you in this way. And so he's saying this, I'm writing these things, the rest of this letter is so that our joy may be complete. What does he mean by that? He means to see you continue to walk in fellowship with God and with one another is what completes my joy. That is the measure of my joy. What does he communicate to them? He does not want them to ne- he, he wants them to never forget Jesus Christ. He was from the beginning. 
the eternal one, by whom and through whom and without whom. Sorry, I missaid that. He was the one that, through whom everything was made, without whom nothing was made that was made. He was with the Father in the beginning. Jesus Christ is the source of all that we experience in life. Think on that. Everything you've experienced in your past week, its source is Christ. He was from the beginning. Jesus Christ also truly lived. He was heard and seen by John and the apostles. We have heard him. He is the one that we have seen with our eyes. They walked with him. Their experience with Jesus was the same, similarly to us being here together. They knew him in the flesh, and, they, and he knew them in the flesh. He truly lived. Furthermore, he truly lived again. Those words at the end of, in the middle of verse one, which we looked upon and have touched, these are words more of examining. Not just kind of like a cursory, "Oh yeah, there are other people in this place." In their times with Jesus, they observed him. They touched him. They felt him. When Jesus appeared in the upper room at the end of John, who needed to touch him? Thomas did. John says that was true of all of us. All of us got to see and touch, feel and hear from the resurrected Christ. Jesus was life made manifest, originally with the Father, sent by the Father, and now revealed by the Father. True life. Without Him, there is no life. This is eternal life, He had said in John 17, to know the Father and Christ whom He has sent. Consider that there is no eternal life. There is no true experience of any type of life without Christ being the one who made it and that life then being lived in Christ. Other than that, your experience of life is theologically thin and experientially lacking. Furthermore, Jesus Christ is the source of of John's proclamation. Where, when he says here, this we proclaim, verse 2, this is an apostolic proclamation verb. It is him coming, having been sent by Jesus himself to proclaim who? Jesus himself. So, Jesus is the source of John's proclamation and Jesus is also the object of John's proclamation. You, um, you may drive through western Illinois or Iowa and see the huge wind turbines. Well, what powers those wind turbines? The wind. The wind is the source of their movement. Imagine if those wind turbines, as the wind is blowing them, they declared, singing, The wind! The wind! The wind! 
That is what John is saying here. Jesus is the source of his proclamation, and he can't help but proclaim Jesus as the object of his proclamation. The Lord! The Lord! The Lord! He is the one which we have seen and we have heard and we proclaim also to you, my children. Belief in John's proclamation of Christ then binds John's readers in fellowship to him and to the apostles. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Okay, that might sound at the outset just to be kind of like a verbal assent. Uh, yes, we, we, we think the same way as the Apostle John and the other apostles believe. But there is more to it than that because it continues. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Who are your fellows? Do you ever describe anyone else as your fellows? Who are your guys? Who are your besties? Who are the ones that are your people that they just get you and you get them? John is saying this. When you hear the proclamation of Christ, its intent is so that you may have fellowship with us, the apostles, the ones who have been sent by Christ himself. So Jesus is then the one that binds the children with John, their spiritual father, with the message of the gospel of the apostles. And where does that binding together find its life, find its roots? It is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Such continued fellowship with God and with each other in the word of life is bound together by the gospel, the good news. And it binds them together with the other apostles. So, taking that modern parlance, when they remain in the gospel of Christ, they remain with the apostles. They get the apostles, and the apostles get them. And not only that, they get the Father, and they, they get Jesus, and the Father and Jesus get them. This is fellowship. This is communion. This is only something that God could accomplish. This continued fellowship, if they never forget, will complete John's joy. And it is why he is writing this letter. And it is why we are going to read this letter. So if you have not opened, please do to page 1021. I'm going to finish the sermon by reading the rest of this. Realizing that John, presently, as he's writing, was thinking to the rest of what he was going to say, to describe fellowship, to assure them in Christ, to help them understand this gospel that binds them together. Starting in verse 5, This is the message we have heard from you, 
from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is a word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. 
No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, And reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. 
that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loves, loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are, for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made, has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony. That God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has, whoever has the Son has life Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. There is sin I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who, has, who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And so, Father, the one who answers the prayers of your children and promises to answer the prayers that we ask. We ask that you would bless the reading of your word this morning and in the coming weeks. We ask that you would bless those of us who believe with assurance that we would know that we have eternal life. We also ask that you would give the gift, O oh Father, to those who do not yet have the gift of eternal life and that you would give them the gift of eternal life through rebirth in the Spirit and faith in the Son. God, we ask these things for the glory of your name in the church here at Edgewater and around the world. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us?